Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone trying to find us on Instagram or social media, you can reach out to us at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's, and you can find us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow from podcasts. So that being said, I have with us today Michael Victorio Esposito of Victoria's Italian Steakhouse and Mike's Underground. How are you doing today, Mike? How are you, sir? Do you prefer Michael or Mike? Either or, just don't call me late for dinner. Just don't call you late for dinner. So, Mike, I'm going to give you the microphone. I'm going to let you talk for a while. I'm going to hear your story, like how, why food business, like how did you get started? Um, why did you start a food business? Like what's your family background? Yeah, you know, um, I've been in the food business my whole life since I was uh, a little kid. And, and Mike. Go ahead. My and family, so, my family immigrated from Italy. When you were a kid, or your no, parents? no, no, they, they immigrated from Italy. Well, my father, my father actually came to the states while he was a merchant marine, working uh, working on a ship. So he finally got a chance to come to America, and he docked at Baltimore after traveling the world. He had a few friends up in Brooklyn, so they docked in Baltimore, and he jumped ship. He then went back. He went up to Brooklyn. And he found his friends, and he started working in the restaurant business as a dishwasher for two years. And this is your, uh, I'm sorry, this is your father? My, my, yeah, my father. Okay, cool. So he jumps ship, basically, in Baltimore Harbor. Right. He decides Brooklyn's the place to go. There's probably a bunch of Italians there, most likely, that he, oh, can, yeah. that he can relate to. So from there what is it that what happens how does your family get started where do you you end up in brooklyn where and and so, what happens so what happened was after two years of working there <clears throat> back then even in the 80s and parts of the 90s um guys with badges would storm into the kitchens into the stores immigration immigration yeah and my father of course didn't have any papers and he got caught yeah that's why they called us swaps right without papers all the time right that's, yeah, exactly that's why right? they were the racial slur just so everyone knows like right, i'll admit funny. it just because i'm italian i can say yeah, things like that that's, that's that's pretty good and uh he got put in, he got put in jail i guess i guess a holding center and uh for two weeks before they shipped him off and uh he told me he's like mike let me tell you it was the best two weeks of his life I mean, you know, they gave him three meals a day. He slept. He watched TV because he was working seven days a week, pretty much 14, 15 hours a day, you know, making that money. There was no way for him to go back now. Now he's stuck. Now he had to figure, well, they sent him back. So while he went back to Italy, he met my mom. Little courtship. I guess, uh, you know, he was in 63 from 62, 63, 64. 64 is when he got caught. He got sent back. So... In about 67, my mother's uncle had a pizzeria in Bensonhurst on Grand Street, and it was called Grand Pizza. They sponsored the family. Uh, my mother, her three siblings, father and mother, got sponsored by the uncle, and they were allowed to come to the United States. Once they landed, they had Social Security cards waiting for them. And right away, they put the sons to work at the pizzerias. My mother went back to Italy, married my father, brought him back here. 
And that's how that started. And so you had mentioned you were Irish before. Is that <laughs> is your mother the Irish side then? So she went back to, or were you joking? <laughs> no, that was a total joke. I was going to say, was a, because was I don't see joke. the Irish, but <laughs> I'm like, I mean, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, they're actually from the same town, a town in Naples, Italy called Monte di Procida. Cool. Monte di Procida. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of people here in the States, um, all across the States, that came from Monte di Procida, started pizzerias, restaurants, and things like that. Um, and that town, that small little town in Italy was built on American dollars. I mean, the villas, the houses that went up there because everybody came to America and just uh, worked for a little while and opened up their own pizzerias. <clears throat> some of them, some of them uh, even, you know, opened up franchise of pizza, like Villa Pizza. Um, you have, a, you have a Elizabeth's Pizza. And these people have, you know, I mean, hundreds of pizzerias yeah. out, of, out of nothing. And there's a Bizarro Pizzeria in Florida, and there's a bunch of Bizarros from Naples as well that have started pizza places down in Florida, a few of them as well. So I know exactly what you're talking about. They're not directly related to me, but the spelling's the same. And I agree with you. I think what happened is, well, Southern Italy, just the food is just part of it in Italy as a whole, but a lot of working it was more of the working class in southern Italy, south of Rome is what I'm talking about. And that was the food and the merchants and the ships because the Mediterranean and the trade. So I like this a lot. So how do you then, you grow up in the pizza business, kind of. Your family comes here for the first time. They're here. Like, they came from the food business. Like, your mom marries your dad. Like, what do they do once they get here? Like, is it still food? It's 100% food. My father actually, his family was a, uh, came from a fishing family, the Mediterranean. My mother's family were kind of farmers. So uh, when they came here, my father developed a hobby of fishing. And our backyard, we had a big backyard. Our backyard was a farm. It was, it was literally a farm because that's what they, that's what they knew. They ate from, from what they grew because that's how, that's how it was. So they worked uh, at a couple of different places for a while. And then they, uh, they ended up opening up a place in Amityville in 1969. So wow. it was, it was my, uh, my, unc- my uh, grandfather and my uncles with my father. My father was the in-law, let's say. It was my, my mother's family. And that was in 1969. Up until 2004. My, my father passed away in 2004. Um, but we opened up a steakhouse in 2002. So he spent some time, at least two years, you know... Uh, in the steakhouse business watching it so that's that's the story with that you know and so help me understand this just out of curiosity because like your family comes over it's the american dream they they get into food which a lot of people don't humans don't understand particularly americans is that there was a wave of like greeks and italians and um, that came into the country before we, the, uh, for lack of a better term, the South American population, Central American population came into the United States to fill the food jobs. There, not that there wasn't back then, just in some weird reason, a large sum of Italians and Greeks came into the United States during that time. Uh, obviously, fleeting maybe socialism and well, stuff. It was, it was the the great despoiler of the South South Italy. Yeah, I mean, uh, it started 1800s. You know, when uh, Italy was never Italy as we know now. Yeah, exactly. The United States is actually an older country than Italy. Yes. 
Italy was was made into what it is in 1886, I yeah, think it yeah, was, yeah. by Garibaldi. Yeah, you know, 86 so the, or 96, the, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, the Neapolitan people, the Neapolitan people didn't want to join whatever they were putting together, and they were massacred. They were massacred along with a lot of the southerns. Yeah, you know, so you have you have Calabria, Naples, you have Sicily. I mean, we were they were. So what happened was. I'm glad we're talking about this because I never talk about it because the whole rest of the world is like, oh, my God, what happened to me? But and I never talk about this, but this is exactly why we fled is the persecution. So I just go on. Let's yeah. go on. So. So they came in mass massacred the, the, the southerners. Right. And stole the riches from the land, whatever that was. It was brought up to the north. And the people down south were starving. The education system sucked. The the hospital system, everything sucked because they weren't they weren't given any any money to survive. Taking all their uh, riches from the land, and up north is where you had the factories. People were doing well. So what what choice did they had? They all just gathered on a boat and they just started flooding New York. Yeah, flooding New York from eighteen hundreds. Then in the seventies, I mean. Italy was like underwater. Yeah. I mean, was the, the, the economy was collapsing. That was another wave of yeah, Italians exactly. coming over here, you know? But, uh, and that's why, that's why we're known for pizza, red sauce, you know, the seven fishes yeah. and things like that. That's all Southern tradition. Yeah. In the North, they don't do any of that. Nope. None of that. None of it. <laughs> you know? And, and there's parts of Southern Italy that don't do any of that either because... You know, there's a lot of mountain people that don't do seven fishes or whatever. So it's it's where it's where you come from. But that's why when if you see something like a risotto, it's a rice with this or whatever, uh, people don't think it's Italian. But it's it's Italian. You know, people think Italian, they think pizza and red sauce. But it's it's not. It's so diverse, especially down in Sicily. Sicily was ruled by the Ottomans, so there's a lot of Arab influences in in Sicily, a tremendous amount. Then you yeah. go up, up to the outer edge. Uh, Adiagi, next to Venice over there, uh, and, and and the other side next to France, huge influences of German cuisine, huge influences of French cuisine. Yeah, Total, totally different from the southern. Well, you and know? it's just like parts of Croatia and Czech Republic were. Yes. Uh, they, were they used to be parts of Italy, and it's like everything is all smeared together and Roman Empire, and like in the food, you're right. It's like. Italians still don't fully associate as Italians in Italy. Like, it's still very much like I'm from my city state. Like, mm-hmm. because it's thousands of years of that. Yeah. And so I, I agree with you that our perception as Americans, our loyalty, but in a lot of places, including India, it's like I'm first loyal to my my city or my state for lack of a better term then i'm loyal to maybe my country but most likely it's like my religious affiliation then it's my my state in italy's the same way it's almost like my city catholicism and then maybe italy if you're in the south and that's what happened is like there wasn't patriotism to begin with there was the american dream and and we stand a chance to belong to something that actually will give us a fighting chance. Where in Italy, like, no, you guys don't get any. You're the Southerners. You're mixed blood or whatever they would use to terms to discriminate. Right. right. And, like, push you down there and then whatever excuses. And people don't realize that it existed everywhere. And then as Europe went to the European Union, it became the Greeks, the Spanish, the Turks, everyone else became the lesser societies in because they were less wealthy 
And even though the euro unified everyone, then you had again the same thing. We had a, a population of Spanish, Greek, and Italians coming back over again mm-hmm. because the euro flattened everything so bad it gave all those countries disadvantages again. So the rest of Europe yeah. got rich off of the disadvantaged yes. southern countries. Yes, you're or, right. or Portugal was one of them as well. And um, so I think that that's part of what happens and why food becomes so popular and why Italian food is such a staple here and Greek food is such a staple here. And um, any immigrant group that comes in that comes from this that has the dream, food's the best place to start. Like it's everyone eats it. You can serve your own own kind, for lack of a better term. Like Italians definitely started by serving Italians Italian food first before they serve Americans Italian food. And so that's part of what we're talking about. So let's talk about you. Like, what inspires you, Mike? Like, why be an entrepreneur? You could have gone been a doctor. Your parents gave you that dream. Like, you could have gone been a nurse or a lawyer because that's really what our families wanted for us, right? Like, I hear it all the time. Why, why didn't you just become a lawyer? Why did you choose the hard life? Right, right. You know, who cares about the money? Look at the life you're leading. You right. don't have any kids, you know, and it's stuff like that. Right. But we choose a life even though the American dream was supposed to set us up for an easier life. Yeah. So uh, it was that, It was that, you know, you're right, uh, the majority of people, my father was actually opposite. He's like, Mike, look what you got over here. I'm like, you, you enjoy doing this. You don't need to go to, you know, spend all this money. I was like, you know, <clears throat> I didn't come from a family where um, you got to get yourself a good union job. You got to get yourself a job, a job with good benefits. I didn't come from a family like that. My, 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 my family... My uncles, my cousins, my great uncles, everybody that I know that came from Italy all own businesses. They own, all own restaurants and pizzerias from, from San Francisco to Florida, New York, and everywhere in between. I got up there all over the place, and they all own their own places. And that's what inspired me because my father always says, you know, you, you control your destiny. That, that's how, and I just, you know, watch my cousins, watch my uncles, they, they have these places, they're doing great, they're happy, they, you know, they don't worry. And I grew up in it, which I was just in, in yeah, no, there was no other way, I was enmeshed in it, I like, you know, we were talking before, I, I also, as a, as a young kid, I had my own, like, little landscaping company, yeah. you know, I, I, I had, you know, about 15 houses I did around my blocks. You know, I, I did it. I did newspapers. I worked at the pizzeria when I was 10. I learned how to make a pizza at 10 years old. Made my first pizza for a customer. He hooked me up with a tip. He was so happy. I was so happy. That's what really got me hooked, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> when the first time you know, I made a pizza, I just picked up the dough, and I just started mimicking what my father did, and I picked up the dough, started doing what he did, did it, put, put the thing on a paddle, and I, remember, I can never forget, my father and my mother just stared at each other like this. Like I was some sort of pizza prodigy, you know? Now looking back, what they were really looking at each other, they, they, they saw dollar signs. Like, we don't have to pay anybody now no more, yeah, yeah. you know? So, yes, yeah, like, so, so I made my first pie, and I remember a customer came in. I remember a customer coming in, and he goes like this, hey, Mike, give me a cheese pie, but I want the kid to make it, because I was, I was by the counter, right? No, 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 don't worry about it. He's not going to make a pizza. I'm making a pizza. Don't worry about it. At the same time, there was another guy standing there. He, he just happened to walk in. Yes, sir, can I help you? He's like, uh, I'll take a cheese pie, and I want the kid to make it. I was like, I was like this. So I made, made the, the other pizza for the, guy, for the guy. And I, you know, nervous as hell, just I, I made the pie for this guy. You know, he's like, put pepperoni on it. Put some pepperoni on it. Put it in the oven. Oh, it's coming out good. You know, it came out good, right? He's like, kid, you did great. 
this is for you. He gave me a $10 tip. Now, back then, that was the 70s, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was 70, 79, I think. $10. I mean, a, a pizza, I think, costed like three bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It used to be that the yeah. Domino's you yeah. get it delivered for like two ninety nine. Yeah, so I was like, I was just like, I, I was so happy. I mean, I took this ten dollars, like it was, you know, like, like I didn't know what it was. I remember about put it under the sink, I cleaned it, I'm ironing it, like that, you know, like my first ten dollars. Yeah, I remember as you know? well. Yeah, yeah the so, smell of it, the, the yeah. feel of it, the, that I earned it, yeah. that it was mine. Yeah, you know, and 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 that's it. Uh, it was over, and I. That's it. I still have it, actually. Mine was a $2 bill for, like, helping someone, like, move, like, plants next door. I was probably, like, four or five years old. And they gave me a $2 bill of all things. Like, I don't know why, but it's stuck. And um, I just think that as parents, like, the lemonade stand idea is just one of those things that's so essential for a kid growing up. Yes. Like the kid, if you don't ever introduce him to the entrepreneurial spirit or what it does, how to make money, then you don't give him a chance to make a choice to go that direction. Yes. And so every time I see one, yeah, I make a point to stop. Yeah. One as many as possible, and I just yeah overtip. You're doing great. This is what happens when you when you when you when yeah. you work. Boom, and I'll throw it out. Hopefully, you know, I'm contributing in some way to, to their, their life. Uh, you know, yeah. And the thing is, is what's happening is you're trying to what you're trying to do is we're trying to concrete the reward of the work, because what happens in the world is we give away trophies so much or something that we don't we we concrete the reward wrong with the work. Like, oh, OK, if I don't do any work, I can still get a trophy. So what you're doing is you're actually saying, hey, no, 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 no. There's real money here. This is a real deal. Work hard. There's more that'll you come. It. Yeah. And so I think that that's part of it. So let's talk about like your family dynamic. Like now you're passing on to a new generation. Are they involved in the business? Your kids? Are they not old yeah, enough I yet? Yeah, uh, I, I have two, two, two baby girls. Love of my lives. Uh, Mariella is 13. Raquel is seven. And um, yeah, we try to instill, uh, instill in them the, the value of, of work. You know, I take them to work with me. They enjoy being there. I just, Mariella just actually started working every Friday and Saturday um, as a hostess at the restaurant. And uh, she's doing great, 13 years old. You know, she's doing really, really good. At first, you know, it's like, ah, do I have to have to? But once you get there and you see it and, and, you, and you do it and you feel it, because I remember me, right? I remember me growing up in the pizzeria, you know, you, uh, you're doing this, you're not doing it really good, then you're doing this, all right, then you're doing this, but if you're just consistent, you're just doing every day, then one day, out of the blue, you're just like, you're just doing it, and you're Clockwork. doing it really good, and you just, and it's just something about being that age, that it just, it, you absorb things, that you, so know, you don't know quicker. that you're absorbing, yeah. but you have to start at 13. Yeah, you have muscle to start memory. At yeah, muscle memory. Yes, that's exactly what it is. You're like muscle yeah. memory. You become you become really really good. I told Mariella, I was like, you keep doing this, right? You 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 could you could run circles around anybody around you by hosting. Then the next step is you're gonna start bartending. Next step is you're gonna you're gonna be in the dining room. Next step is you're gonna be in the kitchen. And you're gonna run this whole up. restaurant. By 21, you're gonna know everything. Everything. And that's, I mean, we're sitting here with Jesse. That's sort of what happened to him, right? He yeah. was probably about 13 years old. <laughs> I'm 22 now. 22. So, right, so, right on the wow. age number. Right wow. on the age. Yeah. And so, like, that's that? what happened, which is Everything why. just came together, it's right? It's glue. It's glue. And it's why I wanted to ask the question is because, like, 
what's what happens here in New York City is unlike anywhere else in the world. And do families pass down businesses? Yes. But the understanding of the family legacy, particularly when it comes to the entrepreneurial spirit, is so driven here in New York compared to the rest of the country or maybe even the world, depending on where part of the world you're from. So we see it with Jesse. We're talking about it with your kid. I'm obviously a kid who grew up in an entrepreneurial family and started when I was young, including mowing lawns and fields. So one of the things that I'm trying to get through to everyone is this doesn't stop just when we make businesses. Like it doesn't stop, whoa, I'm Justin, I'm an entrepreneur, I make a business. No, now I've got to pass it on to my kids, okay? Or someone else's kids, whatever it looks like. So how do I do that? Because without that, the dream doesn't live on, right? So we're consciously doing that. So one, I want to say we're spot on here, right? Because I'm, I can show that example in the human that I am. And we see it with Jesse here that this mm-hmm. works. Right. When you compound family legacy or the American dream, it works. Yeah. If it's focused and it's done right and you immerse the person, you don't coddle them, right? Right. And so um, let's talk about this. So how, like, why stake and pizza they're not normal things i would think to go together i for an italian i totally get it mm-hmm. but for that a normal person like italians are like well we eat steak and we eat pizza they're perfect things that go together we love them but so it makes sense to me but from your standpoint why those why in that they're, order they're two they're definitely two separate businesses um what happened was <clears throat> I worked in the pizzeria for such a long time, from 10 years old all the way up to 29, 30 years old when I opened up the steakhouse. And um, my brain was turning into mush. I needed a new challenge. That's what it was all about. Basically, at the end of the day, I just needed a new challenge. I, 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 just, I just thought I did everything I possibly could do to a piece of dough. <laughs> I was like, I just, I just, I just need to... So, there was, an, uh, there was a vacant building across the street from the pizzeria. And I was like, yo, let's take a shot to my old man. I was like, yo, Pop, let's take a shot, you know? We looked into it. And, uh, was and it already a pizza shop or it's just a blank store? The, the, the... So you originally well, well, the, had a pizzeria the, the, the with pizza, your father. Yeah, the pizzeria. No, the pizzeria was my father's, okay. you know, from 1969. So that's where you were learning the dough making and all and, the and, but, and it doesn't exist anymore at this point. Just the steakhouse exists. Right. That location does not exist anymore. Okay. But it's so, across the street from but it was what currently a, it, is the steakhouse. Correct. It was across the street where the steakhouse is now. Okay. So we opened up. So we opened up in 2002. We, we finally opened up the steakhouse. We open up the steakhouse and that's it. Now I now you know to myself I was like, hey, you know, I was never in the restaurant business. I was never in the restaurant business. But I said, but I I said to myself, I was like, hey, you know, food, food, you know, I mean, what's what's the difference? The first day, <laughs> I found out what the difference was. <laughs> I got my ass handed to me. Yeah. I was like. I need to, f- I need to fucking do my homework. I need to, I need to wake up call. I need to, I mean, you had the bartenders, you had the wait staff, you had the kitchen staff. I mean, you had to try to make everything work, you know, like a conductor. Yeah, just, just and um, ins and outs. Yeah, I, you know, it was just I, so. I, that's it. I put my head down. I started learning about wines. I took, uh, I took uh, some Oye course. Uh, I took a course. I, I I studied about how how to dry age meats. I dry age my own meats now. I studied this. I studied that. I, I bourbon, scotches. I learned everything. I I had to. I had to learn everything. I had you know 
a lot of weight on my my shoulders yeah. because a lot of people were counting they on were, me. Yeah. So that people, was the drive that, that really was, that was uh, you know I couldn't let it, I couldn't let anybody down. Work. No yeah. way, no way that I had I I had to do this, you know. So I had a lot of learning. You would have so, ran through a wall. Yes. So I started going out to restaurants more. On my day off, or slow days, just to just to look at the at service, and how the tables were set up, and I'm like, okay, that waiter did that. That was nice. I like that. Okay, that waiter did that. That was stupid. I didn't like that. So you know, so so I went to a, uh, I went to a restaurant, you know, and there was a waiter taking an order, but he knelt. He he, he kneeled down to take an order. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. So I I, I made up rules of what waiters can and cannot do. And that's how I did it. That's how I, that's how I did it. I hired this manager. This manager was a great guy. <clears throat> and uh, unbeknownst to him, you know, he was kind of teaching me, uh, you know, some some things. But I never really let on to him that I didn't know what the fuck was going on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, that's so. In the first year, I learned a lot, and I put it all together, and now uh, twenty this years year, later, this year is uh, my twenty year anniversary. Yeah. 20 years. You so, can look back on that. So I'm just like, this is crazy. So how did you learn all the skills? Let's just talk about, I'm a firm believer in stacking skills. Like if I don't know something, I go learn the skill. I don't hire someone to do it. I first try to learn it. And then even if I hire someone, I'm learning the skill from them also. And so how did you go about conk? Okay. You, how do you go about 20 years ago learning to age meats? Like, it's not like YouTube existed. No, no, YouTube didn't exist. Nothing existed. I just, uh, just talking to the meat guys, you know, just, just, just visiting other, uh, steak houses, you know, Gallagher's had the, had the meat case that as soon as you walk in, inside yeah. their place, they had a the meat case right there. And you, you look at all the meats. I knew temperature had had a, had a I knew humidity had a thing I knew uh, you know airflow had had a, had a, had a thing so I just kind of like I just I just did it myself you know I bought this huge walk-in box I bought industrial style like the humidifier I got these big fans you know the UV lights the whole nine yards and I was like okay let's see what happens you know have a steak age for 28 days I'm like okay that's good what if I tweak this and do that it's, it was just a learning process for me I was just tweaking it as I went till I found a flavor that I thought was good after 28 days and so what about like were you getting customer feedback around this point like how did they react I mean you're experimenting at this point was the, it the, like yeah the steaks were were good they were very good very tender because you know it, it takes really about seven days even less to break down to break down the tissues of the meat yeah uh, it's called a controlled you control rotting you control rot of the, yeah. the meat itself, right? After seven days, you just start acquiring different flavors of the meat, you know? So you got that, you know, you got that, you know, after 28 days, you get that little funky, you know, steakhouse smell, you know? After 58 days, you get maybe like a little gorgonzola smell. So so that's why you age it. But you really take seven days, really, to get the meat nice and tender. So just because I don't think anyone knows why, well, why do you age meat? And we've never talked about it on the podcast, so I think it's probably a good topic. Well, uh, you really need a good piece of meat to age. Like a prime piece of beef is the perfect piece of meat to age because of the marbling in the meat. You need marbling in the meat to get a good age. If you get a, a choice or a select where it's lean and there's no fat, it's it not going to age as well. It doesn't age as so, well. But why do you What's want it reasoning? to age? You want it to age because you want, it to, you, you want to control that rot in order to get that meat for tender just does it just, taste just, better just when tender. it's aged just really tender opinion. yeah like i said 
seven days really no 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 added flavor it just breaks down the tissues where it makes the meat a lot more tender okay okay that's basically what it is after seven days and it goes into into you know another three weeks you start developing flavors that people really enjoy you know i enjoy it you know so i cut off the fat and i have a thing called the steakhouse burger now i'm incorporating that 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 that's that funk of the meat into the hamburger now you know so and just blending different yeah. things together and it's funny because and you I, bring it back into your pizza as well recipes from the steakhouse or no um there's a few menu items that I that I that I, that I uh, serve at the pizza, but it's it's not even a sit down pizzeria. Yeah, it's all it's all just it's all delivery, and that's like a whole other story. Yeah. Uh, so why? Well, let's talk about that. So no sit down. <coughs> I mean, that's the modern. Well, world what happened now, with the pizzeria? The, what happened with the pizzeria was I um I opened up this other restaurant called Vero's about two stores down from where I was. Um, it was. It was it was doing well. We got three and a half stars, and at that point, we were we were rocking and rolling. We were doing 100 miles an hour, and um, after a year and a half of building the place, um, after six months of running it, I had a fire. You know, I had a, I had a fire, and um, I built the place exactly what it was, exactly how it was. It took me another year and a half to build it, you know, because you know the insurance company, when something happens, you know, they become your enemy for yeah. some reason, you know. And um, so it was never the same. So I just sold the whole kit and caboodle and got out of that. Well, and there's a saying in the Bible, which is a very interesting one, which really caught on to me recently. If the fig tree no longer bears fruit, let it die. And it's just one of those things where I feel like, you know, if it, the tree no longer bears fruit, let it die because it's not going to bear you any more fruit. Right. And I think that sometimes in business that that happens and we get signs like you're talking about where maybe this is an idea just going to lead to something else and it's not bearing any fruit, for lack of a better term. And it's just life happens. That yeah, way. life happens. And you know what? I told my wife, Christy, and she has so much patience with me, that, that poor girl. <laughs> Love her to death. You know, I, I was depressed. I was really screwed up in the head because I'm like, you know, I lost everything. So I, she, um, I told her, I was like, listen, I don't know why this happened to us, but eventually we'll find out whether it's next week, next month, next year, whatever. Yeah. Have you figured it out yet? Well, about maybe three months after that, I just got this burning thing that I needed to make pizza and bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> so I told Christy, I was like, my father did that. He's like, no, no, no. You got to get in the fucking pizzeria business. That's where you belong. Yeah. And that's where I'm at. So, <clears throat> about five years ago, I just like, all right. You know, I had this little room. I cleaned it out. Put a couple ovens there. Got a table. Bought a, bought a dough machine. And I started fiddling around with the dough, you know. So, I built on what my father was making. I just built on top of it. And I put a little my flavor in it, you know? Back to the basics. Yeah. Back to the basics. It is back to the basics. Right. And I wanted to bring it back to the basics. I wanted to bring old school pizza back the yeah. way it should be. Not like something that's rushed, that's gummy, that's, you know, you eat one ha- you eat one slice, it hits you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> yeah, that, that's 100% <laughs> true. You know? So I just I just started starting what I thought would be good. I started reading bread books, and I incorporated, incorporated a lot of bread techniques into my into my pizza making. And it's uh, and it's 
and it's great. It does it does wonders for the for the. It for definitely the shows in the flavor. Yeah, the stuff that you produce is definitely high. Thank you, man. High quality stuff. And you know, I I, I I'm known to shut down, like in the middle in the middle of the thing. I'm if the dough if the pizza's not cooking the way it's that pizza's not cooking. No, 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 no. Text everybody back. Tell them tell them something happened to the dough. I'm not selling it. <clears throat> I could easily just sold it. Here you go. Make okay, but they pay, out, but they but pay me good money to make sure that that product is a hundred percent. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you open up when you open up a, 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 a thing of Twinkies and you take a bite, you want that Twinkie to be the Twinkie. Yeah, you don't want to open up and eat the Twinkie and be like, ah, they had a bad day today. No, 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 no. There's no such thing as a bad day. We can't have a bad day. That fucking pizza's got to taste the same every single time it goes out. Okay, no bad days. Twinkie doesn't have a bad day. Yeah. You know, so that that's the kind it's of it's an philosophy. integrity thing, though, right. also, right, yeah, so. and a pride, and it's right. just like New York City. It, I don't like this, and I'll say this: I like, know exactly where you're going. The rest of the world to enter the food game, you just need good food. Okay, that's your ticket. Like, if you can make good food, your ticket, you can probably get in the restaurant game. The fucking fight that happens after that's a whole other story. But in New York City, like, it's not about just the food. It's about the integrity and the pride in the product. Because if you don't come into that and people don't see it from you, as well as your food is good, they will not come to your restaurant here. I don't care what population it is from what neighborhood. If there's not pride and integrity in your product, New York turns your back on you immediately. I agree with that 100%. Right. Right. You need yeah, all the components. Yeah. Because you could get good food anywhere in New York. Yeah. Yeah, pe- people feel like they've been taking a taking a fool. Yeah, you know, they want to see everything. Yeah, they want to see everything. That's that's the beauty of New York City. You know, you can't you could get good food everywhere, but once you get a story behind that food, they're gonna come back yeah. for the yeah. story, for the True. memories, to show their friends, their buddies, all that. I remember when I ate Mike's Pizza for the first time, one of um, our guys that works here actually put me on to his brand, and. I just, as soon as I ate it, I called my girlfriend. I was like, all right, we're ordering this next week. I yeah. want her to try it. I called the, my boys. Oh, everybody get together. We're going to have dinner. I'm going to bring, you know, six pies, whatever it is. That's awesome. And we're all going to eat. And that's what we did. We went back to my house. Next, the following week, went in the kitchen, brought back the whole special. And everybody loved it. And I think that's what really brings the difference from having good food to having a good brand. Yeah. So now that memory is stuck with me. And I didn't even know Mike back then. That was before we even met. That's yeah. pretty cool. And then when I met him, I was like, no way, dude, it's you. <laughs> I gave him a big funny. hug. I was like, I love you. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, that was Well, that there's was a lot of love you day. put into the food, right? I mean, as an Italian, I mean, I think Spanish Americans, Italian Americans, Greek Americans, a lot of American immigrant groups, uh, Ethiopian Americans, whatever it is, um, Israeli Americans, whatever it ends up being, there's a pride in the food and a respect and a love that goes into it that's different than just, I'm going to mass produce fried chicken. Okay, there's a place for those individuals and there's a place for that type of entrepreneurial mentality. It's just, it's harder to, you couldn't start a franchise in New York as easily without pride and integrity. Like anywhere else, like you could just throw up a, a franchise and could you have SOPs and it would do well. Probably, but in New York City, it's a love thing. Also, it's a people want to know the entrepreneur. People want to know the face behind the business. And and Times Square, for example, and all the chains is not an actual reflection of New York City or New Yorkers. Any of the five boroughs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
And the thing about it is, is those are just the companies that can afford to be in those places because they have the big wallets because they're all over the country. But the true heart of New York, New York City, City is is not only in Manhattan, but it's in the boroughs like we're talking about with it's True Pizza. You have Long Island, the bagels out here in Queens. Like we're talking about real entrepreneurs right. that are outside what tourists normally see or what a normal entrepreneur thinks of as, you know, what's a great place in New York City. Well, there's blah, blah, blah chain or there's car mines now everywhere, Italian food, right? So, I mean, car mines used to be one place, I think, and now it's everywhere. But yeah, and that's why I think you see all these big chains in Florida that I've never even heard about. Yeah. I just found a few the other day. I was like, what are these places? And they have this many locations. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. I've never heard of them. Yeah. And it's so it's an it's a difference. Like. In order to get out of New York City, you have to fight New York City first. And then there's nowhere else like that. And coming out of here with a brand and a product, it's always going to be higher quality because you're fighting how many other pizza businesses. Like, it's serious here. I mean, everywhere in America, there's like a Little Caesars, a Pizza Hut, and a Papa John's all within like diagonal <laughs> right, of each yeah. other. It's like burger joints. Yeah. So here it's 10 times that. That's what people don't understand. Why there's a higher population, the competition is that much more. It's a dog fight. To deliver on a regular basis, the dog fight. And so why is yours different? I mean, why is Jesse going about it? I mean, I know there's love, pride, and integrity, but what else? What is it that? You know, I, I, I've never... I used to. I used to look at other food places, other pizzerias, other steakhouses as competition. But we're not competition. We're not. We're not competition at all. You have choices, but Jesse here has his recipe. I got mine. How can I compete? How do you compete? You don't compete because people love Jesse. Okay. They don't like mine. Other people like mine, but they don't like Jesse's. What do you do? Okay, it's not like we're competing with uh, the same Whirlpool washing machine. Yeah. You know, we'll take ten dollars <laughs> off. That's competition. Agreed. Okay. We're in agreement. It's not. It's not yeah. competition. It's, phone, it's, it's just. Know. Yeah. It's just choices. You got choices. That's you know? why <laughs> food is beautiful. Right. Yeah. Food is you beautiful. You could have a great pizza from your place one day. And then you could go have a great pizza from another place another day, and it's completely different. Yeah. And you didn't even right. think to correlate right. them or, or see them as the same. Right. And, you know, and, uh, for instance, I, go ahead. I, 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 when Domino's first came into New York, yeah. right? I was I like, know, they're I not going to last. Not only did they not, not last, they lasted, but they have locations in Brooklyn, I Queens. Know. And you know what? It's a choice. Everywhere There's people that like it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it took away from anybody else. I mean, I, maybe I, but yeah. it's, it's just a choice. I mean, there's people that like it. You know, I don't want to yuck somebody else's yum. I don't want to talk bad about whatever. But, you know, there's, there's, there's something for everybody. Well, and I think what's interesting is I agree with you. Domino's did come in here and weirdly they stuck and I was surprised. But they really adjusted their pizza menu quite a bit when they came into New York, I feel like. And they started renaming things like the Brooklyn Crust. And so they started <laughs> yeah. doing stuff like that that just... Oh, yeah, the New York Fold. Remember that? Yeah, the New York Fold. And so they did things to like... I feel like it's more like people that are Americans that get come into New York and aren't like immigrants or native New Yorkers that buy Domino's. Really, I think it's maybe more of that than because... 
if I'm in New York and I'm here, like I would rather support a local business and the food's better in my opinion. I'm gonna say Domino's is bad. I'm just saying there's a choice. And the choice is why not try someone who's doing it differently? Why try the same thing all right, the time? Right, right. And plus, you know, if, if you have these worldwide pizzerias, so if they have one in their hometown, yeah, and they move to New York and they have one over here, of course, you know, it's something familiar where they're going to go to. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about what is the next steps for you? Do you have other dreams? Like you're you're doing delivery service, so that's your whole business. So do you use like DoorDash and Grubhub for the pizza no, business? No, no, actually, actually... Actually, right now, I'm just using uh, my drivers. I have about 10 drivers. I like to call them waiters. Waiters on wheels. Yeah. Um, drivers are drivers, you know. What they're, they're, you know. And um, I didn't want to uh, immerse myself with that yet, I guess. <clears throat> but uh, I know if I, if I would like to do other small satellite type of locations, I would get involved with them. It seems like... Um, I have you know a bunch of friends that use them like hey you got to get on it I mean it's great it's great you know I mean they have like six different iPads yeah you know (laughs) and they just have this like shelf and the guy comes in yeah well okay right there he just takes I mean and and there's people that are willing to pay premium for that I can't get over how much I know I mean they they just they're willing to double their food yeah to get a delivery yes I I don't I like we used to be so cheap that you wouldn't you wouldn't drive anywhere now we're just like oh have someone else drive and we're not even going to spend our own gas money we're going to spend five times as much for someone else to deliver it yeah and you know what i don't even call it a delivery service because it's not a delivery service okay because we have nothing to do with it yeah all right but you can't tell them listen you're not a delivery service yes we are no no you're a pickup service yeah you're picking up for somebody and you just happen to be coming to my fucking place yes that's exactly true why are you charging me all this why are you charging me <laughs> well, and it, that's the world we live in actually right. right now is where the entrepreneur does the work and someone comes along and lives off the entrepreneur. We're the farmers. Especially we're the farmers. Group. Yeah, we're the farmers now, especially in food, uh, especially with the delivery services. I agree with you that we there's a layer in between us now and their profit margins are so significantly higher than ours now. And if there was a way of splitting the money back, I would understand. But there's no kickback or rebate going on there because it's literally our the name of the restaurant and the restaurateur was what built yes i go to doordash for example to order something but i'm still like oh what's mike's underground i'm still going to order what's utopia bagels for example like i'm going to stay loyal at least i do that i'm like if i look somewhere i want something local and i'm going for a brand it's not because it's doordash i could get the same client most likely from uber eats doordash and grubhub although we just talked about how that's not the case mainly as much anymore but you can basically go to any app and get like dunkin donuts or mcdonald's or or blah blah blah's local pizza Mm -hmm. um you know or chicken and whatever and so what I like about what you said, though, is you own your clients and you own your customers with having your own delivery drivers. It's You don't outsource it yet, so you're keeping the money. Your drivers are keeping the money. And so do you, how much time does that take to, to, or to keep drivers organized? Because there's a reason everyone outsources it because they're like, I don't want to deal with that. So you're doing pizzas. You've got a steak restaurant. And you're trying to manage delivery drivers. Do they deliver for both restaurants? <clears throat> no, no, the no. Vittorio's is a, is a high 
high-end high-end sit-down restaurant. There's no deliveries there. But uh, you have pickup. There, there, there's people call up for pickup. Yes, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't even like doing takeout at the, at the at the restaurant because I, I don't. I feel like the food doesn't really travel well. My food don't really travel well. I mean, just just think about it. You're ordering a, a steak, you know, and you have it delivered to you. I don't know. I just just uh, pick it up. It's gonna be this. This just. I don't know. I just rather them eat it fresh. But you know, if they want it to go, I'll make it to go. But as far as the drivers are concerned, you know, I, I never really had an issue with the drivers. You know, uh, turnover, whatnot. If they go back to school, they always, you know, have somebody else for me because they they really my customers. Uh, you know, my members. They they're really really good people, and they they take care of the drivers. They make some really good money. You know, and uh, I take care of them also. You know, and I know if I went through uh, these third party uh, delivery apps. You know, <clears throat> I don't have to worry about workman's comp. I don't have to worry about uh, payroll tax. I don't have to worry about, you know, insurance on the cars. I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to worry about that. Well, your you customers know? are not getting that same experience. But they're not getting that. they're seeing your driver. Correct. All your, your drivers are mostly college and high school kids? Yes, mostly college kids. You know, they dress up nice in a tie. But that's how, that's how yeah, it does. That's his thing. Why don't Go you ahead. tell us a little bit about yes, that? Yes, let's talk about that. That's, that's why I call it Waiters on Wheels because, you know, I have all my drivers dressed up in a nice, you know, black black slacks with a nice button-down white shirt, black tie, you know, looking classy because, you know, if you're going to get, you know, a good product, I want, delivery, you know, a delivery guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of times, back in the day, if I called up for a delivery from a pizzeria, you know, the cook shows up with an apron all full of sauce and dirty. You know, here you go, sir. Or you have a young kid coming over with a backwards baseball hat with shorts and like, yeah, there you go. You know, it's so, you know, you have to take your uh, your brand wherever you go. You just can't, you know, have, you so know, that delivery you can't look is part of the experience now Correct. for your customer. Correct. It's a high end pizza delivery correct it's a high-end pizza delivery you know and the and pizza's high-end too not yes. just the delivery people and people really really love it they take pictures with the drivers they'll post it you know <laughs> it's great I, I mean i absolutely love it and how that came to be is because yeah. when i first started i was by myself it was me my wife christy and my little sister tina it was just three of us and you know i'm waiting for the orders i don't you know <clears throat> we get an order gotta get delivered I'll be like, uh, I'll go on the, on the floor of the restaurant, and I'll grab a busboy. I'm like, make this delivery real quick. Huh. Not thinking about ties and shirts and stuff, you know? Boom, go out. Next thing you know, it's all over Instagram. It's like, oh, my God, I ordered from this place. They showed up in a suit, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And next thing, people are just so commenting. Back, back when that started, you would have everybody meet at one location, correct? mistaken me if I'm wrong. No, uh, I, I had I have three pickup locations, yeah. but in a four mile radius, but you I, don't go I could to I could drive there. Or you do no, go no, I do go to houses in a four mile radius. But what happened was, people from all the way out east were coming. So instead of coming to Amityville, I made a pickup spot. You know, about you know five six miles out, so I don't have to come all the way down. Coming from east, coming from the west. You know, we, we meet in Massapequa or uh, Seaford. So, so you people would say, let's meet at this church parking lot. Correct. For the listeners Correct. that don't know the yes. story behind it. Yes. Wait, so, we, so like, you were talking about, like, pizza field parties. Like, I don't know what else to call them. Because when I was growing up and we wanted to throw a party in high school, we'd, like, find an empty high school or something. We'd call them a field party. We'd throw a party <laughs> in the field. So you're having a pizza field party, basically, randomly, where you're, like, picking a random location and slinging And guys pizza. come out of the cars in suits. Yeah. Holding. Pretty, pretty, dozens of pies yeah pretty much what happens is is it's you know 
we have a pickup at seven o'clock. Let's say okay, seven o'clock is a pickup at the at the what do you call it? The Master Pico handball courts. So so we'll send two drivers out, and there's probably ten customers waiting. You know, we open up a trunk, and each customer comes up. We hand them the pie, and blah blah blah. That's that's the storefront right there. You know, and it's still going on. I still have a couple of customers from Manhattan that sends an em- empty Uber driver here to pick up ten pies and drive it all the way back to Manhattan. You know, I mean, I'm humbled by it. You know, yeah. I mean, this wouldn't really happen if the if the food wasn't good. <laughs> no kidding, <laughs> especially know? in New York. Right, exactly. I mean, I mean, all these pizzerias, the guys sending Ubers down to pick up uh, pies. I'm like, you got to pay for the Uber. That's like Girl Scout cookies on steroids. Yeah, that's <laughs> why it's Mike's underground pizza. <laughs> there you go. You know, so I mean, um, did you did. Was it always Mike's Underground? No, or it was, just- no, it was Mike's Pizza. It was Mike's Pizza. And then um, it, it, I just followed people's leads. It's like, where's, where's Mike's? Where, where's yeah. Mike's? No, you have to be like a member. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. He doesn't have a storefront. We have to meet him here. Oh, this guy in an underground thing. Yeah, and these guys come in with, with suits on, too. So I would just, you know, every time there was a comment about something, I'd just pick it. That's a good idea. 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 And I just kind of stacked it and put it together. And, I know most of the time all the ideas are someone else's if you really just listen. Yeah, to I mean, I didn't, I didn't wake up like, I'm going to open up an under, underground pizza. What the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, it just developed into it. Right, it, it just developed into its own. And, tweak you know, here, a tweak there, and, a tweak and, here. And basically, basically, you know, I told people that were members already because I was calling them members, and they are members, not to give my phone number out. I was like, please ask me before you do it, you know? And it made it even more exclusive. Yeah. Hey Mike, my sister really wants to order from you. Like, can I please give her your number? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and uh, and it, that was that was happening. That was happening. Yeah. You know, and people just had tremendous fun with it. Then Newsday, a local paper out here, Erica Marcus, lovely woman, she wanted to do a story on me, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to do a story. She wanted to do a story on me, and I was like, listen, Erica, you know, people are really having a lot of fun with this right now with the whole, you know. Anonymity of it, right? Did they yeah. know who Mike was at that point? No. So who's no. Mike? Who's no, no, no it, was, it, was a, this. it was like a big puzzle with everybody. Yes. Everybody's trying to find And I want to make a point of this because mystery, whether it's a woman or a man, is hugely appealing to people for so many reasons. And I, I knew Jesse and I had talked briefly about this before, which is why I knew about it, but you're a complete mystery pizza slinger. Like, no one knows who's behind the cars that are showing up in the parking lot with the mysterious guys in suits getting out and slinging pizza, right? Like right. Mike's like, like Breaking Bad. Yeah, like you could be much. making it in your He's RV. Walter White. He's yeah, Walter pretty much. White I actually got a, I got a, I got a, I got a, a poster Walter White yeah. <laughs> at the Petria. Let's cook. Yeah. <laughs> <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so people were really enjoying the underground of it. They, they thought they were part of a club. They, they really enjoyed it. They, they it was an exclusive club. It's like, oh, I got, I'm in the club. You're not in the club. You know, and, yeah. and it just, and it just became that way. You know, and then. Uh, you know, sooner or later, you know, you have to go above ground, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I have to come up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Rise up. So, uh, you know, there's people that, that, that know. Well, they're going to know definitely after this. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> that definitely going to know. Some people this. that, you know, that, you know, whatever, you know, don't know or don't want to know. And they like, just mystery like to Mike of Mike's mystery underground. Mike, yeah. yeah. On your you Instagram know? now, they also see your face and some of the Correct. skits and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, so they yeah. can put the so, pieces together. So little by little, little by little, you know, I just came out of my gopher hole. And Breaking right. news on the Justin. It's me. And the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. Right. This is Mike. Right. Well, and it's interesting because I've, I've done something like this before. And um, the 
the momentum you get by being mysterious if people latch onto it and and holding on to that mystery is hugely important it's i i agree with you you don't want to hold on to it forever because it can get almost too stale where you push people away because they're tired yeah, of not too knowing gimmicky at a point but. and so i i like this um i'm also completely surprised that the risk that was involved in it because to a normal person not knowing who you are or, or sending pizza and cars to random parking lots like yeah it's not for lack of a better term typical but right. that brings it back to the point that the food is good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, was there any pushback over your methods and sure, like, absolutely. what are you doing here, and why do I have to meet you in a in a parking lot like I'm was, buying was, drugs? It was so much. It was more more people, you know, posting pictures of the pizza. I just picked up pizza in a parking lot, this and that, and then you, there'll be comments. You're like, wait, well, the guy's cooking pizza in his bathtub. Well, you, you don't even know where the pizza's coming <laughs> yeah. from. I wouldn't. Uh, you could definitely uh, things like that. Those yeah. Comments. Yeah. Up until those people actually tried it themselves. Oh, this is totally legit. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's worth the hype. You know, so and you know, it, just had to, you just just rolled with it. You know, I had more more people, you know, supporting me than, you know, than not. And so you know, pizza's the real deal. The steakhouse was sort of the facilitator of this entrepreneurial journey, where you were an entrepreneur, a restaurateur. The real Mike came out. Yeah, and pizza, or yeah. it was already there when you well, were a kid, when you were like a little guru. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, did I, did I, you were born to be a pizza maker. I was born to be a pizza maker. I think I failed to mention I owned a hair salon for six years too. I'm sorry, I'll put that in the back burner. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, what happened was, you know, I, I have a great staff at Vittorio Steakhouse. They've been with me for 20 years. <clears throat> so that story that I said before that uh, I left the pizzeria business because my brain was turning to mush. Oh, the same thing was happening now with the steakhouse, you know? I mean, the place is running. The, the guys in the kitchen are great. I try to get behind the line now to start, you know, whatever, and they kind of, like, push me out of the way. No, boss, we got it, we got it, you know? So, you know, you, you know you're in management when you're only in the way, you know? Well, and you just, as an entrepreneur, like, your value, like, you value you, your... Actually, let me put it this way. As an entrepreneur, you care more about your value than your success. And I don't know why. The value that you bring to people, the value that you bring to your business, the value that you're involved in. And if it's running itself, all of a sudden there can be this empty of feeling of value. And it's happened to me before. Like all of a sudden a kitchen will start running itself or they don't need me for a lick. They figured it all out themselves. And I'm just like, oh, my God, what's my value? Right, and just, so just, do I do. That's why you well, went on to the next project. Well, just like the Rocky song, don't don't change your passion for glory. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. so true. Yeah. People lose sight of their passion. You know, that passion is the one that brought them there first, and then they lose it f for some sort of whatever. Yeah. Okay, and then whatever their passion is is now secondary. Yeah. When it should be the first thing. Don't worry about the glory. Don't worry about that. Okay. Be consistent. Keep doing what you're doing. It'll just come to you. Yeah. Yeah. It'll just come Head to you. Head down, grind it out. And that's it. That's don't all you go, worry don't go about. searching for it. If you're going to go searching for it, then you're going to fail. Yeah, I agree it, with it, you. It, it, it'll just come to you. One of the things I've learned, and I agree with you 100%, Mike and Jesse, and I think why I love New York City so much and why I love being here so much is 
there's a beast inside of me, okay? And one of the things living in New York City did for me is it helped uncage one of the beasts that were in there. And the beast that it uncaged is the one I call Gorilla Brave. I have like Lionhearted, I have Gorilla Brave, and I have Shark Aggressive. Like, And so Shark Aggressive is like I hunt shark infested waters. That's New York City. And I also call it Gorilla Brave being that you go out and you're a protector and you're brave and you care about the people around you and you want to do the right thing regardless of if people want to do the wrong thing. And sometimes you're unorthodox in your methods of going to market as an entrepreneur, but what you deliver is something that's so true to the person, okay? I would say the pizza bagel, like to me is like something that I don't know where it came from with Jesse and them, but that's like something pure to them. Like, and while pizza is more traditional to you, I do know that what you've done from a marketing standpoint, what you've done from a product stamp quality standpoint is so unique if you're able to do what you do. It's not like you just jumped a hurdle like, let's just do pizza. You jumped a hurdle where you had no storefront, you had no real way of marketing your business, and you learned by sheerly saying, I'm going to do this and I'm gonna build the plane as I fly it because I don't know what it looks like, I just know that I want to do it. And here's the thing about the inner beast that I call Gorilla Brave, because that's what it is. It's ability to get out of your cage and out of yourself and have the bravery to to just go, okay? It's not, Lionhearted to me is like courageous and you go fight for the right thing. Gorilla Brave is like, I wanna protect the people around me, but I need to go out in the world and take risks in order to do it. I need to blaze a trail. I need to be brave and protect the people by going out and doing something unique. And it's a little bit like that because here it's a fight when you come out of your cage and you're having to fight pizza and you did it by creating such a different way method of going to market we talked about how the pizza's better i haven't tried it but based on you're in new york city i can imagine that you're still standing here how many years later or sitting here you survived and the pizza game's not easy in this town and so i guess here's my question All the naysaying, all the stuff that came at you, because I'm sure there was a lot. I'm sure you were called fake pizza or whatever else, and and God knows what. How do you rationalize it? You know, you've been in this a long time, and you're a New Yorker, and this is part of the Gorilla Brave comment, but I don't want to answer it. Is, like, how do you deal with all of it? You've been successful in your life. You know you're a successful human, but as you restart, you're now getting hacked down on a regular basis, or people don't believe in what you're doing, and why are you doing this? You have a successful restaurant. What are you thinking, Mike? And why are you risking your family? And that's the gr- the thing I'm talking about. Like that New York City just makes you hungry. But so what goes on there? Why the risk? Why? I mean, we talked a little bit about it's the next thing, but what happened to you? Like why do it so different? Why, if you're going to do it, why be so bold and brave? Yeah, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, uh because I don't see and other people go into pizza and they're like, yeah, let's just dabble in the pizza, you know? And it's very few far between that take a risk like you do. I've seen one guy, we had him on the podcast that did sourdough and that was a big thing for me. You sourdough crust and, you know, that's a big pull for his pizza in Virginia Beach. That's how he differentiated himself. He really worked hard on that. Mm-hmm. So, but for you, it's pride, integrity, mystery, skill, American dream all those things but I just don't understand how 
I know why I would do it, but I don't think the audience, you literally just cleared out a room and started making pizza. Like, there was investment in there. There's capital. There's, like, it, you didn't it, know if it was going to work. Like, no, you were already in a business. No, like, why I mean, do it, this? It, 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 it was, it's, it's, an, it's in our DNA. I, I don't know any other way. You were born that way. Yeah, I just, I just, that's how, that's how I'm programmed. I just don't know any other way. Let's, let's do it. I'm a little cautious, cautious now that I have a family, two kids. But when I was single, I used to, let's, let's do this, let's do that. I, whatever, whatever stuck to the wall, you know? Of course, you can't hit a home run all the time. But yeah. I, I, I vow never to work it for anybody. The only person I ever worked for was my father. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that is it, you know? And, and the, 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 the employees, that work for me have been with me for 20 years from the kitchen staff to the waiters and that's another thing about new york city and the bravery gorilla brave is the loyalty that exists here and we talked about that a little bit earlier and i've talked to you a little bit about it is that and i actually was on a phone call about this as well is loyalty in business is an interesting thing and when you really get it and the people believe in and buy in as you as a leader and your personal brand and your character, you can't do better than that with an employee base or a team member base or whatever because they start bringing in their the neighborhood and their brother and their sister and their nephew and their best friend, their daughter's best friend who also needs a job. And so you get this compounding thing. So you say 20 years, but I guarantee you most people that live this on this podcast, most of them aren't having 20-year businesses. Most aren't getting eight years of experience like Jesse's gotten being in New York or I got being who I am. Like we're just, it's different. We grew up with different parents that had a different mentality right. about hard work. And- um, You weren't scared of it either. Exactly. And so- that's what I'm tr- like. Let's talk a little bit about this. You don't have a fear because of why. What? But there is a fear that you're driving. I mean, you're you can't not be afraid of something. There's got to be. It's just different for you. So, what is that? Because you're 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 fearless and you're brave and you're bold. But it, it's because you don't want something else. And what is that? I mean, what is your life purpose? I would say maybe is a better question. Well, my life purpose right now is all about my family, my kids. You know, I'm 52 years old now, so you know, I'm kind of you know, I I I want to I want them to have a comfortable life. I look back at a, at a lot of people that you know were in my life prior, older older people that uh, they never really set themselves up for um, their older life. Yeah. You know, whatever, and they still have to hump it. They still have to grind it at 70 years old, 77 years old or whatever, you know, whatever yep. it is, you know, that's, that's what keeps me going because I don't want to be that way. Yep. I don't want to be in that position. That what's, that's really what keeps me going, you know, because when it comes to, when it's, when it comes to the time that I, I'm going to, you know, retire, which I will never retire, I want to do it with a clear head and not, not being, I got to get up to work and go grinding, you know? Yeah. You want to look back when you're 75 at the brands you built for your daughters. Correct. And seeing them take what you did and turn it into even more. Correct. Just like how I did it for my father. Yeah. I'm, this is my father's legacy, the pizzeria. Yeah. You know, Vittorio is my father's name. And that's part of your passion too. Yeah. I mean, 100%, you know? Yeah. Do it for the family. And I was in, my, in the business with my father for 24 years, so I get this legacy thing and, and the building of things and, and, and what can happen if it's done properly. Because I think it's very important that if we pass down legacies as humans and we're, we, we are right with our children in the right way and we 
we instill work ethic and we we reward them in the way that you're rewarding your kids as hey man you're doing a good job like i didn't think you would like this at 13 years old but hey like you're like really good at this and they own it on their own i think we're starting to see more generations that are entrepreneurs that are compounding because i'll say this out loud is new york and entrepreneurism is only 250 300 years old like entrepreneurism isn't that old it's a new concept and we're just compounding it into our legacies and for whatever reason there's certain cultures or areas around the world that compounded legacies and culturally from earlier on or rebellious nature i will call it naples just being one of them and in order to really be true to our legacy like you said it's making sure that we were not forgetting where we were but we're also realizing where we are and where we need to go and i think you capsulate or capture that uh capsulate it so well in who you are like you're an italian american your family came over here they jumped off a boat like we we know how that is there's not it's not <laughs> there's not easy knocks being an immigrant and most people think that if if you're just quote unquote white that you didn't have to deal with immigrant issues but Italians, Greeks northern Africans even if you looked white you weren't white necessarily because of the jobs we took or the the things we took and I use that word just because I want everyone to understand that when you there were times where if you had the last name your last name had a vowel at the end it was very looked down upon you know, so Italians, 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 Italians. Italians, yeah. And so it's like, I just want everyone to realize that the reason that this keeps happening or it happens in Jewish culture or it happens in Greek culture is because there's this compounding thing that happens when you're always constantly successful. And when you're constantly successful, people are constantly trying to hold you down. It's right. just what happens. We call it tall poppy syndrome. Uh, if you're in like Australia or United Kingdom and that and what has happened is Italians or or um, Jewish culture or Greek culture in being put down all the time or having empires rise up and then get smashed is there was a humility in the thing that happened where we needed to work harder to keep our lives and we realized that it's about seeking the opportunities and creating them in hard work so Um, I'm a little bit on a tangent, but this is what I want to say. If you could go back to your original self 20 years ago, or an entrepreneur that was like you 20 years ago, or Jesse, for example, since he's right next to you, like, what are the things that you would go back and tell them that would give them value, like, that you wish you knew? Like, what skills do you wish you would have developed earlier on, or what things do you wish you would have known earlier well, on as a food entrepreneur you know i spent I, I spent a lot of time in the pizzeria what i would tell people is you know don't spend too much time in one place you got to go out and, and see and explore <clears throat> that's that's so that that that's was one of my issues that i was always at the pizzerias i didn't really have a chance to go out like i for instance, you know, when I opened up the restaurant, I actually did my homework while I had the restaurant. I never had a chance to go out or anything. So and learn exper- from others. experience as much as possible, learn as much as possible. And it's 100% true that you need to shut the fuck up and listen. Just keep your mouth closed. Don't, don't pretend like you know what you're talking about. 
just listen to people. Even even if if it's a bum on a corner, he he might have some something inspirational or something of wisdom. You you just pay attention, keep your mouth closed if you want to learn, and you'll be okay. And you know what? Do it for the passion. Don't do it for the glory. Yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting because I just took off my earphones. I'll tell the audience, and like I can hear you guys so much clearer, weirdly, without the earphones on, which is unusual. <laughs> so I must have them in wrong. But the um, the the thing I want to say is, so from Jesse's standpoint, like you heard what he had to say. Like, how do you feel about that? Is it something that you can relate to, or honestly, I think it's the perfect advice that I could have heard at the perfect time. Because I can relate in such a big way. I'm here all the time. I don't really have the opportunity to go and learn from others and see other operations being run. And that's really what I need to grow. Because it gets to a point where you're in the same place and you can't grow more in your same place with your own ideas. And that goes back to what we talked about with the pizza. You were taking comments from other people and building on it, building this, changing that up a little bit. I think it goes to the same way in your business. I'm here every day. I could make adjustments, of course, because I'm here. But am I really going to make the perfect adjustment if I don't know what's out there? And if I go out there and I learn these other adjustments, I'm now going to increase my expertise and my skill set. And you're 100% right with that. And I think that hearing that from you really gave me a reassurance on what I was already thinking these past couple weeks recently too. I was thinking about that because I'm here all day, every day, seven days a week. And I don't really have the opportunity to go pick out this from behind the scenes of another counter or pick out this from a, even a different business, a pizzeria, a restaurant, whatever it is, and apply it into my own personal life and my own business. And I think that's very important, especially hearing you say that, thinking that you're thinking the same way as me. And that's the advice you would give me as a 22-year-old kid. It, it really helped me out just hearing that from you. Yeah. You don't even know because I, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> that I could help. <laughs> well, and that's the point of this podcast, right? We just did it in real life. It's like if Jesse wasn't here and he was a, just a listener, you probably made the same impact on some other kid listening, right? Yeah. And just because you were willing to go through the venture. And that's, I think, what we don't realize also when we just do it, when we just build it, is we, we we get so focused on what the money is or what's right in front of us, we actually don't think the impact we're having on the world around us or our community or the schools or the kid who works with us that his legacy might be because he happened to meet us and what that means. And I will say this, I find this a lot in New York City, which is everyone is so family-oriented in the food business that everyone that comes in and works for you is part of the family, especially if they've been around for a while. And you, to me, capture that so much. Like, even the respect I see for Jesse for you just sitting here. Like, you're like this OG in, in the business now. And, and you're in your four, 50s. And, like, you know the business. You know the hard knocks. You know what it's like to run a crew. You know what it's like to listen. Okay? Because I will tell you, the older I got, the less I talk, which seems funny because everyone's like, you talk all the time, you're on a podcast. <laughs> and it's actually the opposite. I do a lot less listening. And it's like, and even as a single male, like now I'm starting to listen a lot more because I'm like, I really need to hone this in. And it's interesting because it's so unusual that people are like, wow, you didn't really say much. Or do you have something to say? And it's like, well, I'm just listening. Like right now I'm just absorbing. 
like, and I should probably process all that you said before I respond because, uh, like, I'm that person. I'll pick apart pieces instead of like, okay, let me pick apart the pieces, but also think about it holistically. So, I like to, as they say in the military, pause, pick my head up, and look around at my surroundings before I agree to move my troops forward. And that doesn't mean I don't move quickly. It just means I like to pause and absorb. So I like the listening thing. Uh, more than anything and we just talked about in the previous episode actually how important listening is in general like as an entrepreneur I think if you listen your business actually becomes profitable if you listen even to the bad stuff it becomes profitable if you do what people are saying and you get rid of your ego and you you know it doesn't mean that Jesse should suddenly go into bagel cookies if they exist. Like, we're not saying that. Like, maybe a criticism. He's like, oh, wait a second. Maybe I should. But maybe it is. But maybe it is. And he's got to know whether his business can handle that. But the point is, is the more open we are to him, it matters less if we reject 80% of them, as long as now we're tuned to filtering out and capturing the 20%. And that's what you did. And I think that you, the more rebellious it was and entrepreneurial was based on your background the more you grabbed on the idea which is what i liked also it was almost like the bigger the risk the new you 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 knew the reward would be bigger and so i'm going to leave everyone with this um you can find us on shopify or anywhere else you grow yourself from podcasts uh please listen to this episode i'm going to have mike back on i'm going to do a phone interview with mike i'm going to get him onto another episode Um, later on because I want to talk about a few specific things with him. I'm going to ask him to do that. Um, I'm also going to ask everyone in the audience to come visit and try to get on Mike's member list or however you get on on there for the pizzas. Well, you could go to I get Instagram, right? Yeah, Instagram away. I guess it's uh, it's Mike's Underground Pizza Li. Mike's Underground Pizza Li. That's the Instagram site. Cool. Thank and you. So, no, thank you. And it's interesting because I just want to talk about this real quick, and I'm going to end with this since it's the first one we're doing here. Is there's an energy that Jesse has, okay? Like, I noticed it in him. I noticed it in him from the moment we talked on text message, trying to get on the podcast. And I noticed that when there's energy around individuals like Jesse that are young, because I was once like him, there's a lot of OGs that are around him that believe in him, that are also giving him knowledge, and he's willing to learn from them. And weirdly, when this happens, it's almost like a Michael Jordan thing, where everyone's energy gets turned up and everyone's boat starts to rise and the water starts to rise. And it's not specifically because of Jesse, but it's because the trail that's been blazed before and now we have new technologies that Jesse's very in tune with that's making him a superstar and he's willing to learn from you and do things that he could probably learn from you unintentionally, which is blaze a trail, always. No matter what, you're an entrepreneur, you cut the flesh and the, the rest of the arrow, the businesses, for lack of a better term, get to ride through the flesh you just cut. And so that's the way it is as an entrepreneur and I think that his energy is a reflection of being around you guys and his father being in the restaurant business. And so this is why it's important that we pass on not just knowledge and experience to our children because like you can go to school, but it doesn't turn on your energy. Most people don't find themselves in a classroom because we're all standardized. 
And so what Jesse's been able to do and what this environment's been able to do and him surrounding himself with guys like you is turn this energy on, which is why I'm here. I follow the energy. I don't follow the money or the revenue or the, the whatever. I got to tell you guys, most of the successful entrepreneurs now have good energy. So I, but if I follow the energy, I know where it is. Um, so I just want to make that point. And if you want to talk about that, please go No, it's fantastic energy. When I first uh, met Jesse and Scott, his dad, I came in here and it just, you know, the way he was talking about his bagels, the way he was showing me, you know, the flour he uses and how they boil it and how they ferment it too and this and that. Nobody does it. He's talking with that passion. Yeah. With that passion. You know, it's contagious, you know. And, and the money that comes along is just a byproduct of your passion yeah okay just don't do it just for the money yeah if you do it just for the money you, you, that's it it's over already yeah do it for the passion and the money will come well and then if then if you do it for the money then your wife's doing it for the money and your kids are doing it for right. the money and if there's a bump in the road everyone's pissed off because there's no money instead of being like no we're fine we're a strong successful family because we have the skills it doesn't matter right. if we have the money right. the money will always be there we just gotta have the skills and what I like also about what you just said is Life is about being valuable. It's not necessarily about the success or the reward. It's about the long-term gaining value as a human. You said you went out and learned different skills. You stacked your value. And I'm not talking only about core values because you stack those too. Learning what it means to be have integrity and pride in food. And you were in a, a, a white tablecloth business, for lack of a better term. And so you're like the standard is really high in that business, right? And steak and people will push back if it's not cooked right. And right. and so like, I think all of those things helped you become the person that you are by stacking the skills. So with Jesse here and a younger generation on the podcast, thank you, Mike. You actually taught me a lot too. I keep hitting the mic, I'm sorry guys. And, um, and I just think that it's important that we pass on knowledge. Absolutely. And then I think it's important that we have the patience to do so. And I think it's also important that the same vigor and tenacity that we take towards our businesses as entrepreneurs, especially guys that are your and my age, that we do the same tenacity and vigor in passing down the entrepreneur spirit to our kids and kids like Jesse yes. and mentoring and doing coaching because they can be better than us. They can dominate the world in a way that we never could because they have the ability to have our skill set and it passed on them. Plus they have social media at their fingertips, which is just the most powerful tool I've ever seen a human carry around. And we use it for really weird reasons. But I appreciate the thing, Mike. I know I've talked a while and I appreciate Jesse. Well, thank you for having course. me on. Thank yeah, you. Thank you guys. And anyone who's listening in, please uh, pass on the podcast. And again, you can find us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. Thank you guys.